This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 6th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Now that some of the first prisoners are being released in accordance with the First Step Act signed late last year, the White House is moving to help reintegrate these former inmates into society. Kevin Ring, president of the FAM Foundation, says it's a positive move with beneficial political implications for the president. But prison reform more broadly still requires a sea change in attitudes toward former inmates. In December of last year, uh, the president signed into law the First Step Act, which I've heard uh, described uh, in this building uh, by Cato folks and outside the building by others. It is both a fairly minor uh, reform, but also the most significant reform the U.S. has had in decades. And now there are a lot of federal prisoners that are uh, taking the first steps to being released under the terms of the First Step Act and the White House, at least, is doing taking some action to try to help these people reacclimate into society. So, what does that look like? What and, and we we should couch this with it by saying this is all on the wrong end of the of the of the fight over reforming prisons. But uh, to the extent that this is where we are, what are the steps that, that ought to be taken here to to help people who have been released from prison to be reacclimated to be reintegrated into society. Right. Well, this is a place where good policy and good politics mix. Because if you're the president, you signed this bill and you plan to run on this accomplishment, you want to make sure that the people who are released under it succeed. And so I think that's why you're seeing this effort. And this effort is both a public and private sector effort to make sure the people coming out early under the bill can find employment, which means some basic things like getting IDs, getting social security cards, um, finding housing. And so I think they want to marshal, it's not going to just be federal dollars. I think it's going to be the bully pulpit in encouraging private companies to hire people with records, the people who are getting out now. Because I think what they realize is, depending on how these people do, it's going to, dep- it's going to decide whether we can get further reform. And so everyone has a vested interest in making sure these people succeed, don't recidivate, and then we can get additional reform. As you said, this one was rather modest. So uh, ban the box is a popular uh, reform and the evidence on it is not particularly good. Uh, Companies certainly should uh, take that step and not ask that kind of question about people who are are applying for employment unless it's, you know, there's some particular uh, monetary reason to uh, Mm -hmm. not employ people who have been in prison. Um, but where do you come down on that particular issue? Well, I mean, I think ban the box, I mean, there's mixed evidence on it. The bottom line is it's a cultural issue. Whether you ask that question or not, what I want is for people to get a yes answer that yes, I have been convicted of something and still hire you. That is a heart and mind change. That's not something that the law can create. So you can say, don't ask somebody the question in their initial application. That's fine. They got a 10 year gap in their resume though. It's going to come up. And so- you know, it's not surprising to me that the evidence is mixed, but the idea that the government's pushing it, that we're talking about, and that you're seeing so many private companies lead on this issue, that's an unmitigated good. All right. So on the other end of this, which mm-hmm. is uh, prison reform more broadly, uh, what are the what are, what's the lowest hanging fruit here? Because when the First Step Act passed and was signed into law, my first thought was, we're not going to get another bite at this apple. 
for a long time. Mm-hmm. Is that still tr- is that true, or am I mistaken? Well, I think there's small things that can happen in the aftermath of this bill at the federal level. But as you know, most people are locked up in state prisons and jails, and so that's where most of the action is and should be. Our view is, while we're talking about shortening sentences, which is a priority for FAM, and doing other sort of major reforms, there's something basic that needs to happen, and that is we have to stop people from being killed, committing suicide, having overdoses in our prisons. We have a spike right now across the country in prison deaths. Um, We talk about Texas and how it's a leader in criminal justice reform, and in many ways it is. They don't have air conditioning in their state-run prisons. Their private prisons do. Their state-run prisons don't have air conditioning. So they're going to, those people are going to boil all summer. Uh, We saw that in New York when they lost heat in the Brooklyn um, Federal Detention Center and the people were banging on the windows for three days until they got the public attention that they were freezing to death in there. We treat people like animals when we lock them up. And a lot of people in the public say, well, you know, then you shouldn't have done the crime. But we don't say that in any other way. I mean, to me, that's just dissonance. That's like, we don't want to have any feelings for these people. We don't say if you buy a car and you get an accident, well, you shouldn't have drove. We just don't act like every consequence that flows from a decision is your fault. But with prisoners, it doesn't matter. You get raped, you get beaten by guards, you don't see your family for years. It's like, well, you shouldn't have committed that crime. But then you have things like Sandra Bland, who gets pulled over for not using a turn signal and three days later commits suicide in prison, maybe. And there's something wrong with that. Like We're forgetting how dangerous prisons and jails are, and we're subjecting so many more of our fellow citizens to it. Last count was done by Forward US. One in two adults in America has had an immediate family member who's been locked up for at least a day. So this isn't some other. This is all of us. And this is the most basic human dignity. This is like, you shouldn't be raped in prison. You shouldn't be tortured. You shouldn't be beaten. You should be fed. If you get sick, you should get minimal treatment. And we don't do that. So I like the broader reforms, the things we're doing to try to reduce the prison population because it is connected. Our prisons are overfilled and understaffed. And so you get this these problems. But we have to do some basic maintenance and oversight of our prisons. Now, uh, obviously, when you take someone out of uh, society and put them in a cage. You, uh, there's no, there's there is only one greater thing that you can do to affect someone's liberty, and that's kill them. Yes, and uh, yet we have uh, federal agencies and state agencies that do other things, relatively smaller things. They tax us, they regulate mm-hmm. us, and uh, that sort of thing. And yet we hear these massive clamor for oversight of those agencies. And we don't hear it uh, as much when it comes to uh, the agencies that are charged with keeping people in cages and keeping them alive. That's exactly right. And it can only be explained by the dissonance of these people are other. You know, they, they committed a crime, let alone they committed crimes we all commit, right? Somebody's in there for a drug offense, somebody didn't pay their taxes, whatever the issue is. But there's something in our psyche there. As soon as they cross that line, anything can happen to them and it's their fault. But I do think, and I'm especially focused on conservatives and libertarians on this one, because I think mostly people on the left get this from a humanitarian perspective. But we care so much about government oversight. These things are being done with our tax dollars in our name. And that should be offensive to people if not because of the fact that you care that we're killing our fellow citizens or we're neglecting them or beating them or starving them, 
but because we're going to make ourselves less safe. You're taking an antisocial population, you're putting them in a terrible situation. 95% of them are going to come home someday to our communities. And then we have this high recidivism rate and we say, oh, why is that working? So to me, this is a failed big government program and conservatives and libertarians should care more about that. All right. So uh, obviously a relatively small portion of people who are on prison are being held at the federal level. Mm -hmm. So what are the reforms that states are considering or have done recently that are paying dividends in such a way that the feds ought to be taking notice? Well, the states haven't been moving as fast on this as they should. There's some states that are interesting, like Pennsylvania, where the Pennsylvania Prison Society, by law, is allowed to send its volunteers into the prisons. So there's sunlight there. If a, if a prisoner complains about conditions or something, a volunteer is entitled to come in. It doesn't matter if they're on death row or wherever they are, and they can get in there. And so the family can get answers to their questions. That's all we're asking for. I mean, you know how power corrupts and, and everyone talks about you know police or corrections officers as if these people are inherently bullies. No, that's just a lack of oversight and accountability. I mean, this is just power corrupting people. And that's a terrible job to have. I mean, when I was in prison, you see these guys, they're putting up with a lot of you know, nonsense and no one's looking and they've had a bad day. Take it out on, a, on somebody who's there. No one's going to be able, there's no whistleblower protection. There's no open records <laughs> request that right. you can file that will present right. you with this information. So to me, the thing is public safety is used as a shield to pre prevent oversight. And what we got to do is change that culture so that there is greater oversight. I, I know when politicians even visit prisons, they get a dog and pony show. When I was there, we got new shower curtains. We scrubbed it so that you know so that the prison staff would look good in front of the politicians. Instead of saying, "What's it like in here? What's what's the programming like? Let's let me go to your chow hall. Let's see what recreation and programming you have." So it's just a matter of opening these compounds up to oversight and to public view. We're paying for this. And we shouldn't allow public safety to be used as a shield that keeps us from going in there. Uh, in, and I just mentioned in Texas and in Florida, they're both trying to create independent auditors I mean, so that the it's not the prison staff. Every time there's a death, we'll look into this. We'll have our inspector general look in. And then you never hear about it. Alabama, a year ago, they had 18 deaths in one month. We're still waiting for a report on how that happened. And Texas and Florida, not exactly uh, easy on crime states. No, neither one is easy. And that's the thing. Um, you know, Texas, again, has and deserves somewhat a reputation for making some positive changes, but I wouldn't want to be locked up in a Texas and Florida prison. <laughs> you know, so I, I just think this is, it's not low hanging fruit because there's not a lot of concern about this population, but it's low hanging fruit in the sense of this is the bare minimum we should do to preserve human dignity is even if you've made a mistake, we shouldn't put you in a situation that endangers your life. Few people are in there. Um, no one was sentenced, or very few were sentenced to die in there. And yet, if that's happening, that should be a problem that concerns us. When you were talking specifically to uh, libertarians and conservatives, again, there's a whole lot of this that can be done, uh, but shrinking the prison population is a key element of, of getting all these other nice things. That's exactly right. I mean, this problem is it wasn't unforeseen. You overfilled the prisons, you understaff them, and then you completely neglect them. It's Lord of the Flies. This isn't anything that should have surprised people. Um, you know, when you're putting people in gymnasiums in bunk beds because you can't cram them in enough, uh, you have tent cities in, out in Arizona. Um, when you have those conditions and then you cut staff 
you know, that's why some of this talk about rehabilitation in prisons, you know, it's like, oh, we need new programs and stuff. You can't do programs without staff. And if you want to get around that cost, then at least get some private public partnerships, let community colleges come onto the prisons, do other, you know, let volunteers come in, which they rarely do. But you have to get around that problem. And yes, the easiest and most humane and sensical way to do it is to reduce the prison population. That solves a lot of these problems. Um, short of that, just saying, oh, we're going to put more money into programming. Look, these staffs, leave, they, they leave at five. Some of them aren't trained. There's In Alabama, they found that like a third of the staff aren't even qualified to be guards. And so, you know, we're creating these hell holes. Well, gee, thanks, Kevin. Uh, that's uh, all very nice and awful and horrible. How about a little a little hope? Yes, I'm not a pessimist about this. The truth is that the circle of compassion is expanding. People are seeing um, people who go to prison um, as human beings. That's growing. You see it even in the President Trump having Matthew Charles and uh, Alice Johnson at the State of the Union saying, welcome home, like you've paid your debt and now we want to welcome you. That's a culture shift. And so if we care about people when they come out and we think, oh, they should be allowed to rejoin civil society and succeed, let's just remember that what happens inside matters, how long they serve matters, how they were treated sort of even in uh, you know the trial and the rest. So it's just creeping back the timeline that we start to recognize these people as humans and fellow citizens. But that's happening. Kevin Ring is president of the FAM Foundation. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 